Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the State 2 Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. Rob, we're excited. We have one of our targeted guests that we've had for quite some time. And finally, <laughs> Dow Reynolds, D-Ray, actually stepped up and did something for us. Um, wow. Wow. Just throwing him <laughs> right under the bus. bus yeah, it's a new Jeez. year, new bus. We got to throw him right back <laughs> under it. But, but he hooked us up. He got us in touch with John Fanta who is a Fox college basketball commentator and Biggie's digital and on-air personality. And, and if I say so myself, probably like the Big East guy. I, I hate to like rank fans and people and, and whatever, but, but John tops the list of Big East fans, I got to say. so I mean, he, he's doing his diligence. He's got a Big East hat on right now, <laughs> yeah. too. So wasn't necessary, but he's just making the point yeah. for us. So, John, welcome to, welcome to the pod. Well, the proprietor for the full 40 uh, is good for something, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I, he had to be good for something, Daryl Reynolds. Uh, when he was dribbling the ball off the court in one of his first practices, Jay Wright blew the whistle and said, that's not going to happen any longer, D. Wright. <laughs> uh, it's great to join you guys. I'm wearing the cap because, uh, well, it's Saturday morning and the hair's not in the best shape. So, uh, but, but this was the first thing on my desk. So what does that say? It's, Great to be with you guys, and this this uh, this is a blast. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's awesome to have you on, and um, and we've been teasing to our fans, you know, the dozens of fans that we have, um, that that we're uh, that we needed to do a full Big East preview, and we've kind of done like tiers and things like that, and we'll get to that. But first, really, just wanted to kind of learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are, a um, little bit of a personal angle to it, because I, at least for me, just to be candid. It was like you got shot out of a cannon. It was like all of a sudden it was, I didn't know about you, didn't didn't see it. And then all of a sudden you were the guy. And it was like, I don't know if it was five years ago, four years ago, six years ago. But with the new conference, it was, then it, then there was John Fanta and he was the guy who did it. So I need to learn a little bit more, like, how did you get here? Well, how I got here is actually through Cleveland, Ohio, the west side of Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up in Westlake, Ohio. And when you grow up, uh, in Cleveland, you live, breathe, sleep, die, eat, drink, drink, browse, <laughs> Indian, calves, all that jazz. Uh, you are a Cleveland sports lifer. It is the way things are, are run. Football primarily, uh, Friday night high school, Saturday Ohio State, and some more high school, and Sunday Browns action. Uh, and as we record this podcast on Saturday, January the 2nd, and the Cleveland Browns have not made the playoffs since I was seven years old. You can tell, you can tell how <laughs> I'm feeling heading into the Week 17 uh, Sunday game. That being said, that inspired my love for sports. And I went to St. Ignatius High School where I did a lot of different broadcasting. They, I was very fortunate enough. They had a broadcasting network on, on, uh, at, at the school. I played football for the first two years of high school. I was probably the sixth string left guard if there is such a thing if, if i was in that's bad news for the quarterback uh, he's gonna be seeing the trainer later that day so, uh i wish him luck in the huddle don't don't run left um 
I, I ended up getting done with a couple years of football. And then the, the coaching staff brought me in for my off-season evaluation. They said, you know, we hear you really like talking about sports. That was a subtle way of saying, maybe this might not be for you. The uh... <laughs> So I, I started to call more and more games in high school. When I got to my senior year of high school, I said, what's next for college? And you look at different schools around the state of Ohio, but I wanted to go to the metropolitan area. And uh, I actually was, was close to going to Fordham. Mm-hmm. I had looked at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I looked at St. Bonaventure. I looked at St. John's. And um, – I was in a college counseling office in my senior year of high school and the college counselor hands me this flyer and she goes, you know, so there's this Seton Hill university. Uh, <laughs> you should give it a look. Uh, it's a small school. It's in New Jersey. I don't know anything about it. And it's near Newark. And I looked at her like she had six heads. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. What is this? And I look, I go, well, this is a good start. She called it Seton Hill. And here it is. Seton Hall university. Well, I ended up visiting Seton Hall University and found out that it was more than just this, you know, small Catholic school near Newark, New Jersey. There's some really great people on the campus and and there was just a fit about it. And and that's how I landed in the Big East was through Seton Hall via Cleveland. And my freshman year of college was the first year of the reconfigured Big East. Timing. I think that makes wow. sense. Okay. So while everyone was saying, "Up oh, the new Big East, it won't ever be the same as the old Big East," or this version of the Big East is certainly not what the Big East was, I was the freshman jumping in saying, oh, "The new Big East seems pretty cool to me." This, is <laughs> what can we get going? And so, what people I think should know is when the new Big East began in 2013, guys, the only thing that stayed was the name. Right. Other than that, it was like they were starting up their own business. You know, right. it's that's that's how they were going about everything. It's like when that restaurant gets new ownership, but they keep the same name. And you think they have that great burger that they've always had. And then you come to find that they don't. Well, this this was the biggie having to reinvent their menu, having to reinvent everything they did. And one of the things was to build a digital network because digital content was really growing, but they didn't have anybody to do it. And they also didn't have a ton of money. So what did they do? They looked for students on campuses to say, let's bring these students in. And we could sell it in terms of branding as we're developing kids. We're, you know, we're, we're helping students out become better broadcasters. That is how I got my start in the Big East, doing random hits and reports on cross country and baseball and swimming and diving. And then it eventually wow. evolved as time went on into basketball. That's awesome. I, I I love it because it's like it's like you've kind of come up as the Big East has come up, and then I also got to say, just to top, go back to a point earlier, congratulations all around because the Cleveland Browns look real good. <laughs> although although I grew up as a Jets fan, and I don't know what the hell that was the other day, but I'm as mad about winning as you are as losing. So uh, <laughs> miserable. Uh, that was but, miserable. But you but, feel good about Justin Fields after last night. Oh yeah, but I, that was wow. what I was coming to that really was... congratulate you about because we have a friend who is a uh, his wife is a Clemson grad, um, but we've been we've been we've been rooting for Clemson for some time, and we're kind of done with Dabo Swinney, so we're we're done with him. And I was rooting for Ohio State last night, so I was pulling for I was pulling for your guys, and 
and they showed up big and Justin Fields was awesome. Literally incredible. I, I just curious, uh, before I go back to some of the big East growing, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I saw you this summer, you spent a lot of time trying to, I don't want to say trying to, but you, you were doing a lot of like Indians commentary and, and trying to use, I guess, the off season in college sports for a little bit more of your home team color commentary and what have you. Is that is that part of a larger, bigger John Fanta career goal or move, or is that a just a a, a fan thing that you you want to do as like an extra aside? I'm just curious. Yeah, no. What what it is 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 versatility. What it is yeah. is what I'd like to do in my career, and that is look. I think that you have to maximize the now to go where you want to go. I think too often. Uh, in in a career, everybody looks for their next step, and they end up not doing the present step as well as they could. So for mm-hmm. me, I love my job at the Big East uh, and and doing digital content, and doing Fox Sports commentary. But but I did the Indian blog, IndiansBaseballInsider.com, right. as a way to build my portfolio, as a way to say, hey, I don't just do Big East sports. I don't just do college sports. Uh, that's that's exactly what I what I wanted to do, and I saw. This past summer, I was in Cleveland, and I had a connection uh, to that site. And so I did columns, Zoom interviews, post-game show. Um, that was just a way to be able to stay fresh for the college sports season, stay fresh over the summer, jump into baseball coverage. I had really never consistently covered pro sports. So, yeah, it absolutely is part of the career uh, overarching goals. I, I don't know what next year is going to bring or the year after that, I know that I control the now, and yeah. for me, it was an opportunity to cover Major League Baseball, uh, and it just so happened to be my hometown team. It could have been for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It could have been for you know the. It could have been in soccer. It could have been in in uh, hockey or whatever sport you want to say. I'm I have a willingness to do any opportunity. That was an opportunity that that opened up this past summer, and I love working with the guys at Indians Baseball Insider. But uh, it's it's always got to be the right opportunity. But that, that absolutely, to your point, Chris, was a part of me being able to to build. But me also, look, there were no college sports going on, uh, and I was mm-hmm. do I was still doing content for the Big East. But I saw an opening for me to get better, and you got to right. cash in. You have to take advantage. If there's an opportunity there, you have to find a way to take advantage so it's not it's not really a fan thing it is a career building opportunity for me to continue to to produce content and to say i'm in hoboken to say to a yankees or mets servicer this summer i've done stuff in major league baseball here's what it looks like i just happened to be in cleveland over the summer uh for a variety of different reasons covid19 being the top one and so it actually it just ended up working out that way that's cool that's that's awesome. Yeah. And um, what I've noticed this year, um, and it was kind of growing a little bit beforehand, but I noticed it more this year as I'm a baseball fan, I'm a Yankee fan by, uh, by background, um, is that there's a lot of digital. MLB went real heavy on digital um, this year. So I, it's a great fit. And, and you know, I enjoyed, even though I'm not an Indians fan at all, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching you do that. I appreciate um, you saying that. And I, and I just think, I think in our current day, especially in our industry, just to give you guys a a brief background, like, you know, this is so competitive, like anything. uh, But what you have is not only the the competitiveness, but the subjectivity of it. Whoever's hiring is looking for something certain. And on our side of things, we never really know what that is. 
And that's why it's so important to be you. You know, you, you really have to just be yourself. If you try to adapt and change just to fit what someone hiring wants, you're never going to end up doing what you and what you really want to do. So, right. so for me, point. you know, I, I, I have always stressed versatility. I think it's never been more important in broadcasting. You know, I don't think you can just be a play-by-play guy and get by doing that in 2020. I think 2021, thank God. Uh, I think podcasting is important. I think hosting is important. Interviewing is important. Writing, for heaven's sake, writing is so, so, so important. And so anytime you can build that up in any way, and, and I also think because we're in, you know, this is something I've always observed. Like everybody wants to know about what's next. What's the next step? Where are you going? You know, I had somebody ask me about a year and a half ago, what's your plan for the upcoming year? Well, my plan is to get better every day in this and work hard. And I know that sounds cliche, but again, it's not always about who you know. In, in our side of things, broadcasting wise and podcasting and interviewing, it's who's watching you, who's listening to you and yeah. who knows you. Yeah, well, well, I got to say the, the the passion and and the... So the, you, you stress versatility, but you, you, you got the depth too. So like sometimes you see commentators come in and ESPN did this in college basketball in the, in Bubbleville, they brought in guys who were just like from other yeah. sports and it was just, a, it was just a mess and they didn't know the players' names. They didn't know any depth of information or whatever. So what you bring is, is, is the versatility, but also the passion to know and the, and the level of care, the du- taking that duty of care seriously to know in depth about everything that you cover. And I guess we'll use that to kind of go back into the big East discussion a bit. Do you find it hard? I'm just, I'm, I'm just so curious. Do you find it hard to not be like a Seton hall Homer or like, as you're going through and, and, and cover the big East, or do you find yourself as a big East fan first and then a Seton hall guy, or you're able to put it aside to do your job. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you can't go to 11 schools. Um, you you know, <laughs> Seton Hall's my alma mater. I have a degree from there, and uh, I love my alma mater. But that doesn't impact the way I do my job. And if Villanova right. comes out in the NCAA tournament and has a bad half against Purdue, uh, I'm going to talk about what they did wrong, what didn't yeah. go right. So, you know, I, as I sit here today, we're doing this podcast on Saturday, January 2nd. When I sit down today and cover the four games, I, I really don't care who wins the game. I have, no, right. I have no rooting interest on any side. Um, in our industry, we like to see, look, there are coaches that are very, very friendly, and it's human nature. We're not computers. Right. When someone wins a game, you know, I'm, I'm not – I don't message people or do any of that, but the point is, like, you know, you're happy, you're genuinely happy to see certain guys do good things. There's, there's feel good people in this business and that are really, really good to us. But, no, it's not hard at all. It's not, it's not, it's right. not hard for me at all. I, I easily – if I can't put that aside, then I don't. I shouldn't have the job that I have. And for me, yeah. people sometimes say, "You know, thanks for what you do." Think, look, this league speaks for itself. I mean, you're averaging yeah. five and a half NCAA tournament berths uh, a year. They're probably going to get a six this year. UConn comes back in. They're only going to add a team. You know, it's it's not a hard league to cover. There's only the no. to it. It's <laughs> not multiple storylines to it. So it makes my job pretty easy. Uh, and I just try and do that to the the best of, of my abilities. I try not to take myself too seriously, uh, but no, it's not hard at all being a Seton Hall grad and doing my job. 
Yeah, no, I mean, honest, honest to God, we when we were when we were doing the research for, for this and we saw that you went to Seton Hall, we were like, oh wow, didn't even realize that because you, you just seem like a big yeah. East guy. So like, it's, well, that's good so, to hear. I, I, yeah, no, so I. I was just curious, like, is it hard? <laughs> so, but clearly, clearly, I mean, and you're obviously a, a real professional, so it's, well, so I can't imagine. But hey, when but... the Pirates win the game, I went to school there. Yeah, a little fist pump. Well, fist pump. Know, I mean, <laughs> it's not like I'm, I'm upset or it's not like I'm tape, but, but uh, it, again, I've been, I covered Villanova at Seton Hall last year on Seton Hall senior night, Miles Powell, unbelievable introduction. I'm thinking Seton Hall, there's no chance they lose this game, huh? Well, they end up losing the game and talk to Jay right in the back hallway, and that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. We were we were at that game. It was a a wild one for sure, and it was that was one. Obviously, we were rooting for Nova, but you kind of wanted kind of wanted Hall to pull it out. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, people talk about best Big East atmospheres. Well, coming on the last couple of years, when the Prudential Center gets some folks in it, whoa. That place can be a kind of a surprisingly tough place to play. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, very we were, much absolutely. so. We're fixating on Hinkle Fieldhouse and Creighton, and understood, on totally understandable. Just saying, it's very interesting to me that that building, uh, that the that the Rock, which doesn't come to people's minds, can be real challenging. Oh no, the Rock, the Rock absolutely rocks, and that atmosphere was second to none. And we're all lucky we didn't get coronavirus <laughs> at that at that game. <laughs> <laughs> because because Very that true. was in March and it was going around. It was clearly oh, yeah. here. That house was um, rocking that night. Uh, and everyone was screaming at oh, the top yeah. of their lungs. It's like maximum Jersey. super spreading. They play a bunch on. of Jersey music and seventies and eighties. And you know, they got space jam blasting a tip off. You feel like you've gone back in time and you know, you just, you, you got big East basketball that late in the year. It was a blast. So, so let's actually start with Hall. Rob jokes all the time that um, that I'm like a closet Seton Hall fan. I just I just happen to really love. I have very to love true. What Kevin Willard's doing there. I love. I, I think he's doing just an absolutely fantastic job. And you look at where Seton Hall was before the new Big East realignment, and and now, and it's really been all Willard, and it's been it's been incredible. He's had multiple great classes. Powell was obviously it's a shame that he didn't get an opportunity to, to show it in the tournament in his in his senior year. But I guess looking at now with with Powell gone and and I saw Seton Hall picked up a massive win over Xavier. This looked real good against Xavier the other night. How how quickly does does Willard get Seton Hall back towards the top right back at the top of the Big East? Well, quickly. I mean, they're already right near the top. I think they're the third best team in this conference at the moment. You know, they've gone on the road to Marquette and won. Marquette beat Wisconsin and Creighton. They've gone on the road to Xavier and won. Those are quadrant one wins right off the bat in your league. You've now won six of your last seven. Seton Hall, Mm -hmm. uh, this is really something. They start the season one and three, and that's what Kevin Willard deserves the most credit for. He evolves his teams. His teams get better during the season. You do not want to face them late in the year because they're at a much better point no. sometimes than when they are at the start. Well, he's had to kind of go rapid fire technician style here uh, and had to really repair that car quickly. He's done it. He's adapted. Even in a COVID-19 year, they, they faced Oregon. They faced Penn State. They faced Rhode Island. They faced Louisville. They don't have a bad loss. And they all have won six of their last seven games. So you're, you're exactly right, Chris. What he's done with this team is they started the season this year. They were not good defensively. They had a COVID-19 pause before the season. So who you are as a team, 
gets totally skewed, I think, at the start when you're coming off that pause. I think Villanova's going to have to kind of regain themselves off their pause. I think it's just a part of the reality. But they've grown, and they've grown because they loaded up their schedule. People criticize them for loading up the schedule. But you're better off doing that than, than not playing games because you get a whole lot more out of a game than any practice would give you. you got to get up to game speed. He got his team right. ready for conference play by playing really difficult games, by playing Oregon and Omaha, by playing Penn State in Happy Valley, by going to Louisville, you know, by playing Iona. Even the cupcake game was against Rick Frickin' Petito. So right. this, yes. this is a coach who's a grinder. Kevin's put in the work. I, I can't tell you how many times I was on campus at Seton Hall late at night um, doing a hit or doing a report. And upstairs, there's a light on in one office. And it's not his staff. It's, it's Willard. That guy's put in the works. He works his tail off. He's become outspoken. He's become a guy who says what's on his mind. I don't mind that at all. When people are like, oh, wow, you know, he, he created drama with Dan Hurley. He said, you can't come back stinks for all of us. Guys, he, he, was, he was kidding, first off. You know, yeah, but right. second off, that's how the old Big East was. The team would say mm-hmm. something, Bayheim mm-hmm. would respond. Calhoun would say something, Bob Huggins would roll his eyes. It's fine. It's all good. Kevin Willard yeah. has become one of those Big East, you know, kind of if you're assembling like a governance, Jay Wright's at the top, but Kevin Willard would be two or three with how good of a job he's done at Stephen Hall. He's elevated the program to one of its best eras in its 110 year history. Yeah. And, and I love, and I love the mixing it up. I love the fact that like, I mean, Jeff Goodman was, was, was shouting it out earlier this year, but Kevin Willard was like, scheduling is a shit show. And I love the fact, I love that. I love all of the, the ribbing and the, and the hard nature of it. Dan, the hard scrabble thing. Exactly right. Back in the eighties, all these coaches, like they did hate each other, but also sometimes pretended to hate each other. And it was like a really fun type of thing. Kind of pivoting a little bit. I want to, I do want to talk, you mentioned Nova. I want to talk a little bit about, about that. It was Nova's on pause. And I feel like for us, it was kind of unfortunate. We knew that they were going to, that they postponed that St. John's game because Jay said that they need to get mentally right. But from from us, we're coming off what was our what I thought was our best performance of the season against at Marquette, where where Nova looked Nova looked real good, and especially in the second half, it was just not a game. And so I thought, okay, you know, take that, take a little bit of a break, get mentally right. Now you're coming out of the new year. It would have been today. We would have played Xavier, um, and and I was I was pretty amped for where 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 we were heading. What do you make of? What do you make of the of the two week pause here for for Nova? Is it easier to do the pause now, or is it easier, or or, or is it better to have gotten it done out of the kind of out of the way, which never really happens as we as we know with the Paul or in the middle of the season? I think this is okay timing. You know, they were going to be on a slight pause for the holidays, anyways. I don't think it's the end of the world, or I don't think it's going to be that damaging for Villanova. You know, we've seen teams come off these pauses and actually be okay, and they're in game shape. You know, they have games under their belt. They have nine games total under their belt. The, the, the thing is, you're on a winning streak. you got a ton of momentum going for you. You know, you could potentially – could you have an off night off this pause? Absolutely. Could you lose a Big East game? Yeah. 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 And, and with the way the conference is shaping up right now with Creighton and Seton Hall and even Providence, who's 3-1 and one playing as well as they are, yeah, you, you certainly – you know, the margin for error at this point right now – it's not large, but by the same token, everybody's going to lose some games. 
you know, for Villanova, you hope it just doesn't resolve in them taking some sort of weird turn uh, or the other direction. But I don't think it will. This team is too balanced. Right. This team is too versatile, too complete to take some sort of big step back or some sort of, you know, turn for the worse. Because Colin Gillespie holds it down for them. He's coming off a great game at Marquette. He's looked better and better as each game goes on. You know, Jay Wright said he, he wasn't fully like 100% game one. Well, you're seeing him just build himself up as each game passes. Robinson, Earl, and Moore have taken the next step in their game. Caleb Daniels has been exactly what Nova fans could hope for. For a two-lane transfer to come into Villanova, I'm sure it had to be daunting. But, man, this kid sat out. He got better as a player. Um, Eric Dixon sat out. I, I think that that he's an interesting player going forward. You had those two guys kind of helping each other. I actually think when multiple guys sit out a year, it helps both of them. I think it helped both of them. And I think for Villanova going forward, what does Brandon Slater give them? What does Cole Swider give them? You know, that's something that's always on Jay Wright's mind. But I think the pause is okay. It's an okay timing. We all know this is part of the reality of the sport this year. I think it would have been worse if you got it, you know, coming off like Bubbleville or 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 in the middle of Bubbleville or at that stage of the year where you're still trying to fully find yourself. This Villanova team has an identity. They're well enough along in their season as opposed to DePaul, who's played a total of three games. You've played nine games. Wow. You're in an okay spot. Villanova's going to be fine. Yeah. And I anticipate that the Cats could be in Indianapolis in the in the final four as one of four left this April. Yeah, I was going to ask, and I was going to also note that I think it helps to be old in, in, a, in a season like this Absolutely. more than usual. That is, it's a point that I've been bringing yeah. up. Jay Wright didn't have to teach anybody anything new during an unprecedented offseason. You know, you pick up the book, and it's right. like, okay, well, we read this last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you get to work, and you know how to treat – and Villanova players already do this, and with, with John Shackleton in the, in the weight room and everything, you got, you got a situation where the guys – and I don't think any of them – I don't think any of the players had corona. I think it was Jay and a staff member, if I'm not mistaken. By the way, um, is, so, isn't John Shackleton so I, a great weight room name? Oh my God. Just the best. Really just is. the best. We've had him <laughs> on the pod and he is, the, he is the man. He's like a hard scrabble Philly guy, but he's also just made a name for himself because of his, his mentality towards, um, towards weightlifting and also was also eating. Um, and that's been like the big, I think that's a big separator for him, but yeah, it, it's a perfect name. I mean, he goes by, he has Shaq fit. He's got that whole personality and persona. It's, it's oh. awesome. But you mentioned uh, Nova going to potentially Indianapolis. I'm curious if, where do you think of like, – I, I get the sense that everyone feels like it's Gonzaga, then Baylor, it's a half step down, and then everybody else. Is Nova – because can Nova break into that top tier? Can Nova come away and, and surprise the people to, to pull it yes, off? Yes, because they can get teams to play the game their way. So I think it's Gonzaga, then it's Baylor, yeah. then it's Villanova, then it's everybody else. I think Villanova's earned that right. They're 8-1. They're playing as well as any team in the country heading into their boss. Uh, this team can take the air out of the ball, can go Roly Massimino and win a game 68 to 67. I think back to last year when number one Kansas comes to Philadelphia and Jay Wright says, okay, my defense is not where I want it to be. We've been struggling on that end of the floor. We could get out muscled by Kansas. They could outpace us. If we give them more possessions, we are screwed. Going into the game, he's talking about how much his defense is struggling. I remember getting off the Zoom interview with him, and I'm thinking to myself, 
how does how are they going to win this game? <laughs> you know, I just Jay and I'm thinking to myself, how are they going to win this game? Because he just brought up all the things that he thinks are wrong, and he doesn't normally do that. What does he do? What does he do? He limits the possessions in the game. He kind of slows it down a little bit. He makes it a hard game for Kansas to play. He plays the game to his liking. That is how you beat a Gonzaga this year. Don't let Jalen Suggs, Joel Iyai, Andrew Nemhard in the open floor. Don't let Corey Kisper get open threes in transition. Slow it down a little bit. Play a less aesthetically pleasing style, but that's okay. Because why? Villanova's a really good shot-making team, and they have a point guard who can control the tempo of a game. I think Villanova can be there. I think they have a better shot than a lot of other teams in the nation because of the fact that they are as well-coached as they are. They can play a game to their liking. I I don't think they're at Gonzaga's level. I don't even think they're at – I think they could beat Baylor, but I think Baylor's a little bit better than they are. But I think Villanova can be in the Final Four – and what could cause them to beat either of those teams, and what wouldn't surprise me is they have a great knack for adapting to and within a game. Yeah, no, and I, and I hear you. I, Baylor, for whatever reason, doesn't bother me. I think some history has to do with that because we played them now, geez, a year and a couple months ago. And not to say that the teams aren't different. They are. I mean, Sadiq Bey is not there. But we know the personnel. We know the, we know the players. Um, and not, not, not that much has changed year after year. But Gonzaga is one that they look really good. But I think Virginia surprised me by how poorly they executed their game plan against Gonzaga. And I was struggling to take away. If, is, that, is that a Gonzaga thing or is that a Virginia thing? Well, remember Virginia was on pause at kind of an inopportune time. And, uh, and that was a Gonzaga thing. Kispert was – obscenely good he was incredible in that game there yeah. are some games you come out and you throw your hands up in the air what do to do and look against virginia you got to be able to knock down perimeter shots you're not going to be able to execute as well from 17 feet and within uh, at the basket so gonzaga had the perfect formula their offense is as complete as any team in the country that's why part of it is you got to match them scoring wise which villanova could do Virginia can't. They Virginia can't always match teams scoring wise. That's why there's always a concern with them in the NCAA tournament. So I think a combination of Gonzaga having mm-hmm. a great shooting day, Virginia's still trying to find their footing. Um, their defense can't control the game. They're going to lose the game. I wasn't surprised. I, I was not surprised yeah. at, at that yeah. result. I think Gonzaga's head and shoulders above everybody else. But we all know. Like I hate to take when people are like, "Yep, it's Gonzaga's." Uh, they'll win the national championship or let's crown them now. You know, the season's over. If the NCAA tournament has taught us anything, it's that the best team doesn't always win. It's who gets hot. And that's the beauty of that postseason. It's what it's all about. So let's, can we not proclaim the season over? That's a dumb take. (laughs) Agreed. So let's talk about, let's talk about the NCAA picture a little bit from the big East perspective, uh, just because we hinted at it. Um, We've obviously talked about Nova. I'm curious. I mean, Creighton's real good. I'm curious to get your take as to, you know, what, what, where's the ceiling for the Big East? You mentioned that the, at the jump, five and a half, six teams in, that's roughly about half the conference, which has been roughly what we've come to expect year in and year out from the Big East outside of the first couple of years. What, what do you make of, what do you make of Creighton? What do you make of the rest of the Big East? Can, can, can there be multiple second weekend teams, you know, what I think of this season with Creighton is Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney don't get enough credit for who they are as players, as wings, as forward-type tweener players. Everybody thinks about Marcus Zagorowski. He hasn't even played that well this season. 
If I assembled an all Big East first right. team right now, he would not be on it. That's actually how much he struggled at times. He might be on it by principle to some coaches, but wow. he would not be on mine. And I say that to actually not as a, a slight against him, as a compliment to Creighton. I thought Zagorowski would have to be great right. for them to be great. He hasn't need to be great, and they've been great. They can win in different ways now. They defend much better than they have before. They've got some dudes. They have weapons out on their wings that add toughness, that bring intangibles, and that can score the basketball but play within themselves. I thought Greg McDermott said it best a couple weeks ago to me. He was describing Damian Jefferson, the six foot seven, three slash four, who can guard multiple positions. He said Damian Jefferson just plays the game the right way. And when you watch Creighton play, that's who they are. They play the game the right way. And on any given day, they can beat any team in the country because they can dial it up from three. But they can win in different ways than they've been used to, I think, in Omaha. I think Creighton fans have thought to themselves, they're a one-trick pony. Either they get hot or they don't. No, this team's a little bit different. They're able to get stops late in the game. They're able to string things together. They were down by four at UConn with 23 seconds left. They forced overtime. They won that game. That's a toughness to me that gets unleashed. It shows me you mm-hmm. can come back in the course of the game. Creighton can be a second-weekend team. Seton Hall can be a second-weekend team. They've got a completeness about them, a versatility about them. They're different because it's not just Sandro Mamu Kevashvili. What you're seeing lately is they had six players in double figures at Xavier. Six players. Yep. And Bryce Aiken, the Harvard grad transfer, combined with Shavar Reynolds, the senior, gives them steadiness of the point. You've got Jared Roden and Miles Kale out on the wings. They don't have to go shot hunting anymore because Miles Powell's no longer on the team. And I think they've been they've looked more comfortable to me, guys, because they're not getting worried about every shot they take, thinking, if I miss this, coach might take me out. You know, there's nobody behind you. So I think Stephen Hall can be a team that gets to the round of 32 and has a chance, just depending on the draw. I think UConn, too. UConn, to me, is back. Yeah. James Knight is the best guard UConn's yeah. had. People are saying to me, John, how could you disrespect Shabazz Napier? It's not a disrespect. I think I think Book Knight is the best guard they've had since Kemba. I really, really do. This kid is a beast. I mean, if if people wow. have not seen him play that are listening to the pod, you gotta see this kid play before he plays Villanova so that you don't get mad when he's hitting some ridiculous shots against North Korea. This kid makes ridiculous shots, <laughs> ridiculous plays. UConn's big inside. They're really tough defensively. They're going to make the tournament. They're going to be a real bitch to play on the big dance floor. UConn in particular has kind of got me worried is not the word because to me, I love to see the Big East do well. So like, obviously when we play them, I want to beat them. But like UConn has been, UConn is, I'm I'm excited. Hurley's got that team going. Hurley's got that program going. And And to your point, when I think of like the Calhoun teams that were awesome, you thought of like, yeah, at least one, amazing guard and book night fits that mantra and then just some trees inside just some absolute big men inside athletic etc and you think about their history with that and it seems like hurley's kind of built that identity up about uconn again and and they have a they have an edge to them that even some of the late calhoun teams i know they won a couple of championships there but even some of the late calhoun teams sometimes didn't always have that edge and they got an edge and that comes from the coach and and he's got an edge to him he's he teaches himself he treats it like everyone's against him and i think it works yeah for, i, I, I do, really do too um this team plays in the image and likeness of their head coach dan hurley they're defending you brought up the length those trees yeah. josh carlton senior isaiah whaley senior 
you know, and then you have a cook a cook still coming yeah. back from an Achilles injury. You have Adama Sanogo, who's a really good player and just a freshman. Tyler Polly, another veteran. UConn's got an unlimited amount of guys inside that can get it done. And, and I think we know guys in this conference, it's not like there's a great amount of true bigs, nor alone in college basketball. UConn has a couple true yeah. bigs. And when people are like, oh, the right. age of the traditional big man is, is going away. Uh, if you still have one, you actually have a differentiator. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly right. Because everyone's looking to, you know, tee up from, from deep, which obviously has worked well for us here at Nova. But but if you look at the years in which we've won the title, we've had a true big that's been that's been a difference maker and a differentiator for us. So I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. What about Xavier? Is Xavier the real deal? I, Seton Hall embarrassed them a couple of days ago, but I, I, I'm I, they, they Xavier's look good. They beat up Cincinnati, um, and I'm I, I always lose that as the litmus test early in the season for for Xavier as a crosstown shootout, but. Um, I'm curious to get your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I think there. that they're a solid basketball team. They were picked to finish seventh in the Big East. I don't think they're going to finish uh, there. I think that they'll be better than that. I think they could be fifth or sixth um, because I think Xavier's better than Marquette, and they beat Marquette uh, on a game winner nonetheless. Here's what's different about Xavier, guys. They they shot just like 27% from three last year. They've gotten that up to around 36%. They found some perimeter shooting. In the offseason, they got a Gardner-Webb transfer, Nate Johnson, who I think can light it up. Adam Kunkel, the Belmont transfer. These are guys from winning programs. They're transfers from winning programs. you got to find guys that know how to win. I don't think Xavier knew how to win in Travis Fields' first two years. I think they have yeah. a better feel for who they are now. Zach Fremantle's a sophomore. He's a right. captain. He's taken over a leadership position for them. This Xavier team is not as good in the front court as they've been in past years. But I will sacrifice – it, if you can't get one rebound as opposed to having a shot maker, you got to shots in this sport. Right. Uh, to use something that Harry Pret always told me, the long Villanova women's coach. He yeah. make shots. When you ask Harry about yep. a game, he'll break down like three or four instances where a ball didn't go in on an open shot. And then you say to yourself, oh, it's a six point game. He's, he's kind of right. If they make that, maybe things go differently. So, like for me, Xavier's become a better offensive team. Get this Paul Scruggs. All of his junior season, 81 assists to 79 turnovers. 81 assists, 79 turnovers. Paul Scruggs before the Seton Hall game, when we're what? Nine games into the season. Nine games. 60 assists to 22 turnovers. Wow. Yeah, total difference maker. You know what it is? It's not just Paul Scruggs. To complete an assist, what has to happen? You got to make a shot. Xavier was a horrible, horrible Shot making team last year. They lost to the Paul in the Big East tournament because of it. They've grown in that area. They're legit. They're they are legit. Right, right. Are they legit enough to you know make the second weekend? No. But could they win a tournament game? Of course. It's all draw dependent. They could be in a seven ten game. I want to talk about two other teams, um, or three other teams technically, but two are kind of the same topic. One, I want to get your take on Providence. I feel like the second year in the row, it might be more, but at least second year in my memory of Providence having a shaky start, like real, like didn't look good. And then all of a sudden starting to hit stride. I want to well, talk about that. You know, it's so funny. Last year they were, they got off to a really bad start, right? They ended up putting together a season record, record, program record, 12 Big East wins in a year that they didn't start well at all. Ed Cooley just gets his teams to play well once the Big East gets rolling. And it doesn't even matter in a pandemic year. They're three and one. They've won three of four. They're seven and three on the right. season, I believe, at this point. Guys, I mean, yeah. 
Like we're, we've we've been looking at Providence saying, oh, God, they don't look good right now, or they've been shaky. They had a bad outing in Maui. They did not play well at the uh, down in Asheville. But with the exception of that, they've won games in a year where it's a little harder to do it. They need a third wheel to their offense. They need A.J. Reeves to be consistent. He's been better as of late. When he plays well, in the last two seasons, when A.J. Reeves hits multiple three-pointers in a game, Providence is 13-2. and two. Like Duke wow. and Nate Watson, wow. those guys lead the way. Watson's a traditional five-man. He's a beast inside. That kid has taken his game to the next level. He only averaged 18 minutes a game last year. He's getting to about 31 a game right now. He's doubled his points per game. He's nearly doubled his rebounds per game. Nate Watson is the most improved player in the Big East. That's the biggest reason why the Friars are where they are. They're a solid team. Uh, They are flawed offensively. They are very flawed offensively, but they could put you in the meat grinder at any given moment. And as we do this podcast on Saturday morning, January 2nd, I'm fascinating to see Providence host Creighton. Uh, later today because I think it's a really interesting matchup to see Creighton's offense meet Providence's defense. What kind of game plan Ed Cooley has. You have a great offensive technician in Greg McDermott. You have a, a guy in Ed Cooley who, you know, just eats nails for breakfast and, and uh, puts you, put you in a blender. So interesting, <laughs> interesting team to watch going forward. You They also coming off probably their game of the Big East season so far. <laughs> you wouldn't expect it to be Providence in the poll, but it was. Call. It was a, uh, um, I, I got to ask you about two teams who are the traditional rivals, I'll say, of Villanova, who just seem to be sputtering and have been sputtering candidly since the conference realigned and, and even before that um, in, in the case of St. John's, which is Georgetown and St. John's. Uh, will, when will they will they write the ship? Will, when, when are they going to well, be Well, I think that St. John's has a better trajectory because they have a proven winner in Mike Anderson as their head coach, and they have some players that have come in, Posh Alexander, Dylan Adaiwusu, freshmen who have a, a pretty bright future. I think that there's more pieces in place in Queens. I do think St. John's has gotten off to a puzzling start. I expected a little bit better from them. But I think when you only have three guys who were solid contributors for you last year – now playing for you this year after a pandemic offseason, when you have these teams that, that don't have a lot coming back, and for St. John's, they lose L.J. Figueroa and Mustafa Heron, you just don't replace those guys with new guys, and they and they fill the roles that easily. So St. John's is not back. Um, right. they're, they're far from it. But I don't think they're as far away as Georgetown is. I, I just think for Georgetown, they have a really good recruiting class coming in next year, Aminu Muhammad, Ryan Mutombo. Tyler Beard, they've got some pieces coming in. It's not about who's coming in. It's about keeping those pieces on the hilltop, about keeping those pieces at Georgetown. I still think Patrick Ewing can turn this program around, and and I do think that he wants to win. This is not a scenario where a former player comes back home and kind of, you know, half-asses their way through a job. I have no idea who I'm talking about. (laughs) Patrick Ewing wants to win at Georgetown. (laughs) He wants to get it done at Georgetown. This is right. not that case. When people say there's a hot seat, there's not. He's Patrick freaking Ewing. If he wants to win at Georgetown and wants to do yeah. the job, it's just his job. And he's in a really good recruiting class next year. Yeah. I still think he can right the ship. I think St. John's is closer. But I still think I, – I don't think these programs are, are one where they would ever want to be. But I don't. I think they're still probably two or three years away from from us talking about NCAA tournament type possibilities. So it's yeah. been amazing. This Big East has flourished, 
and two of their traditional powers have not. Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, Georgetown made it once, maybe twice. twice I, I think, think yeah. in, since realignment, um, and and, you know and the Big East course. would still be just the one time, consistently fifteen. Yeah, and you tell me that. Yeah, the year I remember Villanova, they got, they beat up Villanova. I remember MLK that day. I think um, by tw- by by twenty points. Um, um, if you if you were to tell me that going into the new Big East realignment, Georgetown would be good, maybe once or two years max, and 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 the Big East would be the second, third fourth best conference depending on what year it is every year consistently i wouldn't have believed you but but it's but it's what's happened i want to i, I want to pivot we're a little bit over time and i appreciate you staying on with us um i want to pivot to march madness um and kind of what to make of that if you're hearing ear to the ground hearing anything about how this is all going to play out because i, I mean the one thing that concerns me is that conference tournaments, which are so critical, and for the Big East, obviously the most critical, I would say, of any conference, um, just because of what it all means. How do we – is the NCAA – is there coordination going on between the conferences and the NCAA with like, hey, how do we keep the, 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 the conference tournament safe? Because the, the one thing that I worry about is that if there's a COVID outbreak and you got a conference tournament going on and players are in relatively close quarters – and all of a sudden, like you got a you got a conference on pause as opposed to a couple teams, and, and and I'm just a little bit concerned that like you know you go into that you have a COVID outbreak and then now all of a sudden you got an issue with the that conference. Well, and the NCAA from what I gather, the NCAA back. tournament is going to add some wiggle room. This is not going to be selection Sunday happens and the tournament's first four starts that Tuesday. It's not going to be like that this year. There's going to be some wiggle room for the tournament yeah. to get going. And what does that mean? I think you're going to basically see a a diluted, if there is such a thing, without them saying it's a bubble, it's going to be just that in the NCAA tournament. In the state of Indiana, they're going to be able to fixate things. I think they're going to be able to work in certain protocols that work for them. There's going to be human error. It happens in this. But I do think that you're going to see the tournament get pushed back in order to allow for these kids to quarantine, their coaches to quarantine. You get into the tournament, you're in that in that controlled environment, when you lose, you're out. When you lose, you're out of the tournament. You know, yeah. you're taking classes virtually anyways. I think they can make this work. These kids aren't taking as many classes to begin with in the second semester. Uh, they take summer classes. They take classes at different times to not have to overload themselves when their season prime time is going on. So I do think that it's doable. I think, I think that for the conference tournament stuff, there's going to be a Big East tournament. The conference makes too much in TV revenue, does too many things around their conference tournament to not do stuff around it. Now, where will the tournament be? That's a different question. You know, uh, that's a that's a really interesting question. Like, would it be at an empty Madison Square Garden? I mean, look, if it were up to the the, the, the Big East, would love to have it at the Garden. It's where their tournaments always been. It's what it, it's what people put synonymously with it. Does it make sense, though, to have it at the Garden? I don't know. That's something for those for the conference to work out. But there's going to be a conference tournament. How right. that gets executed, we shall see. Uh, I really don't have any leads here in the ground with, with any updates on that. I think they're so focused and fixated on making sure they get through the season and seeing these teams come off these Christmas breaks, making sure they don't have to go on pause. We've already seen you know, one situation with Villanova. But I, I think I think you're going to see things come together. I just think there needs to be a wiggle room, and I think that that's being created. Make sure there's enough. You don't need to put put your season back. You, know, you don't need to postpone anything. Maximize the window. 
but allow for the wiggle room to allow right. these kids to quarantine once they get to Indiana and do look, nobody's going to get upset. If you do a two and a half week bubble, people are going to understand the health and safety. People are going to understand these kids had their March madness taken from them last year. Don't let them go through that again. The mental health effects of playing a full season and then not being able to compete in the postseason are so much worse than you saying we're going to keep it in a safe and controlled environment and bubble these kids up. I, I don't understand the bad connotation sometimes right. with a bubble. These kids want to play games. They want right. to play. Right, right, right. I, and, and it's not like – and to your point – it's not like the bubble is going to be like the NBA bubble where it was like uh, you had players and people who were like away from their families for four but, months. This is, this is a, this is a, Hey, you can get this. Once you get, once you get the players in the bubble and safe, then you can, then you could run the tournament. You could run the tournament yeah, but, in, in two weeks. It's not like there's nothing forcing yeah, it. Here's to the take, one thing that I, I don't weekends. think people understand above. These kids are in a bubble right now. They're, they're on their campuses yeah. in a dorm hall. They're in their dorm rooms playing PlayStation, watching Netflix, or talking to their girl. This is not – this. Right. you know, for anybody who thinks that, oh, normal travel and being on campus, you know, this is the life that helps with their mental health, there's nobody on these campuses. The campuses are dead. I actually think a bubble right. might be even better than the possibility that they have right now. These kids want to play games. They love yeah. basketball. You know, everybody always says every player thinks that they're going to go in the NBA. Well, as a result, these kids, all they want to do is play is they want to play hoops. They want to try to fulfill their dreams. So anybody right. who's saying all oh, the mental health effects of a bubble, well, they're already in a controlled atmosphere. They're not allowed to go off campus. They really can't have that much of a fun time. They got to see their families for a couple of days. They're all back on their campus now. When they're on their campus, they get tested. They practice. They eat. They watch Netflix. They play video games. They do the same thing every single day. Mm -hmm. And the social life right now isn't perfect to begin with. So I think we need to stop acting as if bubbling them would be that much different. Yep. I'm with you. Um, John, any, any other thing that we're, that we're not talking, we didn't talk about um, on your mind. I mean, I don't, we, we have kept you for a bit, but I, but I'm, I'm grateful for it. But I'm just curious, anything on your mind about the big East Nova, Anything else you wanted to discuss? Um, Did the 76ers call Jay Wright yet? Or uh, <laughs> They call him every He's so not often, going anywhere. He's <laughs> got another national championship, if not more, still in store. Villanova is on such a trajectory. I can't wait to see next year's recruiting class come in. I think that's really exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. Look, you know, this, this league is just compelling and complete in its nature. Some of these conferences, and, and look, I, I'm, I'm close to the ground with the Big East Conference, but I think we all know that in these leagues, certain leagues, there's just not a, a common footprint. There's not a common thread. You feel that thread in the Big East Conference. You really do. And not just because most of the conferences feature an altar on their campus um, and bread and wine. Uh, it, it's also because they're really good at what they do, and that's, and that's identifying and successfully competing in the sport of basketball. What's the next step for this conference? Get three teams to the second week in the NCAA tournament. Right now, John Shackleton's lifting yes. all the weights. Yes. When it gets deep to right. the NCAA tournament, <laughs> he's the one that's operating a workout at the Marriott downtown, wherever Villanova is. you got to get three teams there. That's the next step for this league. I think it's a step they can take. I think UConn only helps that step. It's, it's a joy to cover mm -hmm. this conference. 
There have never been more podcasts about this league. I can tell you that much because there's different folks doing it. I didn't even know there was a Villanova podcast, but I do now because the full 40 is the home of that. And you guys are great. And I've loved joining you today. Villanova's not going anywhere. They're going to annually be one of the best teams in America. And that's because their culture, their culture, unlike a lot of cultures in the country and talking about culture, and Dabo Sweeney's got his culture. (laughs) Villanova's culture is real. It's genuine. It's as real as a cheesesteak in Philadelphia, baby. That's right. I love it. I love it. John, John, (laughs) thank you so much. I I really do hope to have you back on the podcast. Um, Again, um, the proprietor. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, now we we cut out the middleman. So now that D-Ray's out of the picture, I can just go directly (laughs) to the source. Um, um, D-Ray, we love you. But, but thank you, John, so much for coming on. We loved having you on. This has been an absolute blast and it's been a huge value add for, for our listeners. Um, learn a little bit more about the Big East and what's to come. So I really appreciate it. Um, Rob, really appreciate it. We, we, we love it. Um, thank you for all you do for the conference um, every, every, year in, year out. I know, I know it's your job. I know whatever, but the passion and the energy that you bring even to a 10 a uh, 10 AM now 11 AM Saturday morning podcast after new year's is just awesome. And, 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 and we love it. So um, looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, on Twitter and calling the games and, and what have Chris, you. Chris, um, Rob, thank happy you New Year. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all your listeners. Uh, happy New Year to all of you. Happy New Year to Nova Nation out there. The full 40, it's the place to be. I was glad to be here today. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Love it. And we just want to thank John for coming on the pod with us. Um, Rob and I really appreciate it, and it was awesome to hear from him and get that background and, and do a little Big East preview. We're now going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back to you for the second bit, not half, of the pod uh, after the break. This episode of The Full 40 is brought to you by Sanzo. Sanzo is the premier sparkling water brand and the first of its kind to feature Asian-inspired flavors such as lychee, mango, and calamansi. My favorite flavor is calamansi, and Rob's is mango, and we make sure our fridge is always stocked. Made with real fruit and no added sugars or artificial flavors, it's a delicious way to start the new year right and avoid unnecessary calories. Sanzo is available at drinksanzo.com, where you can subscribe for monthly shipments like we do, also available at your local Whole Foods, and now available on Amazon, where it was a top 15 brand on Amazon the first day of coming out on the new, on the website. So check it out again, drinksanzo.com at your local Whole Foods and available on Amazon. All right. Welcome back everybody. It's a full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the state Tune network brought to you by Nova insider. We are back for the second bit, not half second bit of this podcast. Thanks again to John Fanta, who was awesome. Rob, that was awesome. It was it was terrific. We had originally said that was going to be like 20 minutes, and then we just got on a roll, and frankly, John just got on a roll, and we said, yeah. let's do it. It's not, it's not every day John comes on our podcast, so let's yeah. make it. Let's Fuck it. it. We'll do it live. <laughs> we'll do it that live. actually happened, too. We were like slacking each other in the background, and Rob's like, all right, like, what's going to happen? I was like, I'm doing it live. John's going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so no, but we, we were super appreciative and it was, and it was a blast and, and Rob, I feel bad. You couldn't even get a word in edgewise between Rob, uh, John and I energy. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent with you. So one thing we, we touched on with John and I want to touch a little bit on is, is Nova's on COVID pause. And I think that's not news to anybody. 
um, who would be listening to this podcast. And if it is, I think you need to reevaluate your, <laughs> oh, is your it? priorities. Um, but the, the reason why is that two, as, as, as least as we've heard, um, has been put out by the media, we don't know anything inside beyond that, um, is that two staff members, Jay being one of them, uh, were um, diagnosed with coronavirus and we hope they're okay. Haven't heard anything to say the contrary. Jay actually was on, came on with somebody um, and seemed to be okay. I, I saw there was some media put out with him on a Zoom podcast or something. Um, so so I think Jay's okay, but obviously we're going to keep our ear to the ground and make sure everything's okay. And we wish everyone, Jay and beyond, who has been diagnosed with COVID, a speedy recovery, and hopefully we can be out of this mess sooner rather than later. But with that being said, we're going to talk about the impact now on the season. Um, and what it means for us. So obviously we're, we're, we're paused for two weeks. We knew the St. John's game wasn't going to happen already, um, but the Xavier game got pushed back. That got rescheduled to, I believe, January 12th. I believe that's right. Either way, oh, even checked, either yeah. way, um, you know, this is going to happen and we talked about it and, you know, you just got to keep kind of stay flexible. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, obviously as a team and, you know, with John Fanta, we talked about it and he thinks Nova's going to be fine. Um, especially with all the veterans. And I agree with that take. You know, I think that, again, this is a great time to be old. Yeah, it's a, it's the same narrative we've been preaching. Frankly, I think this is one of the things we, we got right at the beginning of the year was saying that this situation benefits teams like Villanova where you don't have to relearn everything. And ideally, when you come back from a pause, you're more or less hitting the ground running and starting from a higher floor than most of the other teams. Perfect example, being Kentucky, which is an absolute train wreck, right? Right. Um, and I just saw the St. John's and DePaul game, like literally, like as we took a break between talking to John, I just saw the St. John's and DePaul got canceled and it's likely because of COVID-19. So crazy. Then uh, this is going to happen more and more and more, but hopefully we'll get back into action soon enough. It didn't seem like any of the players got it, although I haven't heard any new news, but I want to talk about a few players on our team specifically as it relates to the COVID pause only because I get a little bit worried about them, and I have reasons why. Um, number one on top of the list is Jermaine Samuels. Um, oh, God. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it's just the case. But this, is a, this has been a thing that's happened, is that Jermaine seems to have a rocky start of the season, comes along and starts to show some things, gets hurt, gets a setback, something happens. Now, this year, it's a COVID pause. He's not hurt. He's obviously healthy. And now you got to restart and rebuild and get back up to speed and get confident again. And I just worry... For Jermaine in particular, that this pause hurts him. I, he's a rhythm player, and when he's playing games over and over and over again, he gets much better than like any other yep. player does as you, he plays more and gets more consistency and has that routine. So I worry about it. To John Fanta's point, it is the holidays. There was a built-in break, etc. So I am not terribly concerned, and he is a senior, but this is the type of thing that throughout his career he's had – a couple breaks here, you know, and, and, and it seems like he, it's a big setback for him. So he falls off a lot when he loses his routine, gains a lot quickly when the routine is established and lasts. So Jermaine's number one on my list of what to watch for after the break. Yeah, and especially given that, as we've talked about, he is playing a bit of a different role this year than he has been the past few years, where he's expected to be more of that slasher type. I would imagine getting more reps doing that and getting more reps on a regular basis helps you slot into and get more comfortable playing that role. So yes, he's got to not only continue to relearn his role on the team, but now continue to relearn how to engage in that on a regular basis. So I'm with you. I think it makes sense. 
Yeah. Um, and then two other players, it's Slater and Swider, who, you know, I think have had have had ups and downs, Slater less so. Um, but like, you know, Slater in particular had been coming on real strong and is becoming a more fixed piece in the lineup. It's the player the players who are like veterans and who are players that have had a defined role and are good at them, like Moore and Caleb and obviously Colin and JRE. I don't worry about them at all. Um yeah. They're all vets, um, even though, you know, J-Rob and Moore or whatever but, uh, are, are younger. But I, I still don't worry about them. Um, so I think they'll all be fine. It's that next tier of guys who haven't, who haven't had the chance to um, contribute more completely is, is always what concerns me with something like this. Yeah, and unfortunately, those guys, as we've talked about, are generally what take you from, hey, you're a second weekend team to you're a final four weekend team because you have those complementary pieces who can come in, they know their role, they can fill that need when things are a little bit slow for the other guys that are getting going. So yeah, getting them, as we've talked about, getting them going, making sure they're comfortable come March, which is rapidly approaching, is going to be important for us, yeah, as it is for everybody else. It's crazy how like, you know, in a new year, just like the month flips to January and all of a sudden March feels around the corner. Like December 31st, March seemed like eons away. And January 1st, it seemed like March is here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be here. It's going to be weird. Get ready. It is going to be madness. Unlike any other for sure this yeah. year. So hopefully it's our last break. Hopefully Jay's fine. And the other person, and we don't know who it is, is fine. But that's all I wanted to touch on real quick on the COVID pause. Um, I don't have anything else to add other than that. We'll obviously yeah. keep you posted if we hear on the flip side some good news for jay he's on the hall of fame ballot again no surprise there he was on last year didn't get it um on this year maybe he gets it um, was he was he close last year i don't even know i, I forget i honestly forget um this he didn't is, make it regardless yeah he, he didn't get in so i mean like to me it's <laughs> like close is not really a thing that matters um it's true it's true but, you, you, you don't put on your tombstone Close to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, but we'll see. I mean, Jay is, it's only a matter of time before he get, becomes a Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. He's got 600 wins now, and he's got two national championships, multiple Final Fours, Elite Eights, et cetera. He's one of the most accomplished basketball coaches in college, in men's college basketball history. So there's no doubt that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's a matter of time. So, yeah. you know, we'll keep an eye out for that as well. All right. Finally, the, the last bit of the podcast, and we got to spend a little bit of time because there's so much going on. Um, yeah, is is a heart monitor. We need. We haven't done a heart monitor in forever, and in particular, we have an, a special edition heart monitor focused on the subject. Yes, Josh Hart. Um, Absolutely. Who? Congratulations. He managed to do both: get proposed to his longtime girlfriend and blow up the internet um, at the same time, which he's been known up- to. Because he's blowing up his pants. That's, yeah, that's exactly right, man. Holy Woo! crap! Yo, um, I, I thought I thought Shaq Fit had done some work on Josh, but man, after seeing him propose in those pants, you want to talk about an ass? Wow, that yeah. um, that is an ass that a lot of guys and girls would kill for. It was it was quite impressive. Yeah, it was quite the butt. Quite, <laughs> quite the butt. I mean, people were talking about it. They're like, "Yo, he's got that double cake." He's got. <laughs> Um, he's got a lot going on. You know, people were talking about, you know, praying for the pants to make sure they were okay. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I mean, in all seriousness, congratulations to Josh. Obviously, he's been it's it's great to see him, you know, take the next take the leap um, with his longtime girlfriend. And, and it's it's exciting to see him, you know, progress through life. It's, it's fun. You know, we, we talked about 
how through COVID you had, you saw the human play is the human element of a lot of the players um, and social media gives special access to that to a degree, but it's, but it's cool to watch the alum of the program and the school, you know, go through those experiences, just like it is with any of your friends. It's cool to see them go through life and, and go through those experiences. So congratulations to him, but he's also having, he's having good time professionally too in new Orleans um, where he's playing big minutes so far um, yeah, for I new mean, Orleans on a, yeah, on a talented almost, team. Yeah. Almost like a, almost like a sixth starter, if you will. Definitely one of the first guys off the bench in that second unit, young team for sure. Josh is doing Josh type things. He's averaging nine points and eight rebounds. I mean, we talked about him as kind of a double double guy, and he he really is filling that role. So he's just doing all of the hustle plays as he has historically. Three point shooting continues to be pretty good, about thirty five percent. Yeah, maybe you can take it up a little bit. But hey, kudos to him. It's a it's a fun team to be a part of right now with Zion and. Uh, and ball. So there's a lot happening there. It's a, it's a cool spot to be. There are definitely a lot, a lot worse teams you could be on in the NBA. That's for sure. And worse places to be. Not to and worse places to be. True. That's yeah. true. Maybe I guess all that New Orleans food maybe got to his, got to his butt. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about worst places to be, let's talk about Sadiq and Detroit. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but so bad. But kind of a blessing in disguise because being on that team, Sadiq's actually gotten quite a bit of good minutes and, and seen his role increase dramatically in the first few games of the season where he went from a DNP to, to start. So, yeah. so, so it's been, it's been fun to watch him progress even in the very first few games of his career. Got his first points the other night, um, got his first start playing. He's playing pretty well. And people are already talking, you know, in the, in the NBA Twitter sphere about, how Sadiq's going to be a problem in the future. Yeah. It's not the one thing I have to say, the one thing I was worried about was his three point percentage carrying over because he shot obviously a blistering 45 plus percent last year from three. And I was just wondering how much of an, how much of that was an anomaly that wasn't going to carry forward to the NBA. The sample size is super small so far. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But he's off to a really solid start. He's had a couple great games shooting the three already. And on average, he's shooting 45% this year, which is kind of wild already. Again, it's only five games in. But hopefully it's a good thing for, for things to come. If he so shoots, good for Sadiq. If he shoots the ball well, especially in the NBA, he's going to play. And you know he's not going to not play because of lack of hustle or anything like that so truth so happy to see Sadiq off to a good start here in Detroit um we got to talk about Mikhail Bridges yeah because he's lighting it up he's on fire in fuego right now um core part of the Suns team um he's benefiting from Ubre being gone and and obviously the addition of Chris Paul is getting him some good looks too. So, I mean, what is he up to like 15 and six a game? Yeah. Something like that. And he's shooting 50% from three again, it's really early, but I mean, just awesome stats. And like you said, I, I think what's, what's most exciting is he's such a core part of that, that sun's offense right now. And we'll see what the suns do. They were certainly finished the bubble last year, hot, and they went undefeated in the bubble, still didn't make the playoffs, but Hopefully that they continue that momentum with the addition of Chris Paul. That's that's obviously a huge upgrade over. I think they were playing with Ricky Rubio last year for for the most part. So seeing him, regardless of what happens with the team this year, seeing him play that that more critical role where he's a regular starter, where he's shooting well, where he's scoring points. I mean, that's going to bode well, whether the stuns do well. 
whether he gets shipped out somewhere else. He's just establishing his bona fides there. And, you know, he's really obviously always that, that all-around player. He can shoot the three. He can certainly defend well. And now picking up five, six rebounds a game, I mean, that really rounds out the stat, stat sheet for sure. So good on Mikhail. Like, really off to a solid start in, what is this, I guess his, his third year in the league, yeah. um, which is kind of wild. So good, good on him. Things I mean, are off to a great start. I, I, I wonder this, we were talking about this a little bit with our friends, um, what, what Mikhail's like upside is in the mm. league. And, and, you know, we watched the NBA. We're obviously much more in tune with college basketball, but I mean, he's already an impactful starter on the Suns. And granted it's the Suns, but I think he'd start on a lot of teams. So, so I'm interested to see where 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 his upside can be. Uh, is it an All Star? Does he in his prime? Does he get to an All Star level? I don't know. Um, but he's certainly going to have an impact in the league for years to come. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's. I think he's got a ways to go for sure. I mean, even if you look at you look at who's generally regarded as the best player on the Suns, which is Devin Booker, and Devin Booker basically uh, required an injury last year to make the All Star team. Um, and he was having like a, a crazy year on obviously a bad team. So there's there's a bit of hey, if you're doing well on a in a solid, really good contributor on a good team, that's very different than hey, you're a solid contributor on a bad team for sure. So I think if the Suns are able to you know make the playoffs this year, which coming out of the West always a challenge, but if they're able to make the playoffs and he's able to keep those numbers up, I think that type of season definitely starts to elevate him and put him on that trajectory. But the headline in my mind is he's still a ways away. Oh, the yeah. ceiling, the ceiling for him. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. In my mind, it's like, maybe he makes one all-star team like uh, at, at some point in his career. But I think that's, that's kind of the ceiling based on, on what I've seen now. I think there's a lot of elements of his game that he'd really have to develop a lot further before he's he's in that conversation no debate no debate it's kind of like where where we we're trying to project like four or five years out he's not he's not into his prime yet so we got we got time he's got time all right let's talk about um let's talk about a guy who is a bona fide all-star kyle lowry and man he's people still take him for granted but he's having himself a year already um 37 minutes per game, which is no surprise, obviously, is the all-star on the Raptors. But 19.3 points per game, nine over nine assists per game. Just having himself a typical Kyle Lowry year. I mean, he's been in the league for now. He's like, what is his 14th year, 15th year, something like that? So he's yeah. been in the league forever. Um, and he's still putting up these numbers. And he, and he candidly looks good and young. <laughs> looks like a bull. Let's I see. think that's one of the big things, too. It's funny, like, watching – you know, Raptors fans. So Raptors fans love him. They've, they've loved him for, for a number of years. And certainly when they won the championship a couple of years back, that really cemented Lowry as, as one of their favorites. But, you know, even then, you know, the championship year, you know, was that two years ago? It was like, oh, is Lowry on his last legs? And like, yeah, you know, from a pure age perspective, you look at him and say, yeah, he's, he's, he's over the hill, right, for the NBA. But to your point, he's still doing it night in and night out. He's given 100%. And, you know, we were talking about big butts. He's the original Villanova big butt guy. He's got a rear end for sure, and he knows how to use it. Um, so so kudos on Kyle for for another strong start of the year. I, I love it. It's crazy. Like, he signed, he signed what was it, like a $100 million contract a few years ago with the Raptors. And all the talk at that time was, okay, well, you know, we're basically paying for, like, a good year or so. But he's actually, you know, playing through that contract and really delivering on it. He is still the leader of the Raptors and putting up the stats to support it, which 
frankly, I did not expect to see coming. So good on him. Yep. Keep it up, man. Yeah. And then a couple other guys, Dante. Um, he's also off to a solid start with the Bucks. And you want to talk yeah. about so so we talked about Mikhail being on a comparatively worse team and having a big role. Dante is on a comparatively great team and with the Bucks and also has a big role, although he's, he's he comes off the bench, he starts it, it kind of like he goes back and forth. Um yeah. But but 22 and a half minutes a game, he's playing nearly half the game. And he's scoring 14 points a game, so he's doing work with his minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and, he, and we know that he knows how to be very good in a, in a six-starter role. So. Yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, we talked about this in the offseason where it looked like he was getting traded to the Kings, which we said, that sucks. But maybe the idea would be, hey, you'll play more and play in a bigger role we thought he was a big beneficiary by staying on the bucks. And it seems to be, it's like, all right, he ended up there and they're still giving him the minutes too. Like you said, 25 minutes a game, that's nothing to sneeze at. So he's making the most of the opportunity there. He's shooting the ball well. And you have to think, as we talked about, if he's doing that well on a good team, that's only going to increase your value. So I, I don't know. It's, it's just a lot of good headlines for Nova guys around the league. It's, it's, it's fun to be having this conversation with this many people. It's, it's wild when we started this segment. We called it the heart monitor because it was like, oh, we could, we could talk about Josh and that's kind of it. And we could like swing around and Dante Cunningham at that point was still in the league. And like, oh, yeah, Kyle was doing some stuff. But it was really about Josh, and now it's just we just have a litany of players to go through. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's take it, it is fun. It's taken a while to get through it because we still haven't talked about Eric, Jalen, and Omari. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, hey, yeah. This is this is what Jason. They showed a great graphic the other night. You know, it's like oh, like all Villanova guys in the league came in the league in the past few years. So a whole host of them. Yeah, yeah, and amazing. And candidly, it's not going to stop because we got some NBA guys on that team right now. Truth, um, truth, but. Real quick, Pascal, about 20 minutes a game on the Warriors who have Curry back, so it's a little bit more legit now. Yeah. Um, and he's averaging just over nine points a game. So, I mean, you know, it's obviously he was going to take a, a, a lesser role with Curry coming back. But with Clay being hurt, you know, he should still have more minutes. Obviously, it's different positions, but, you know, minutes are minutes, yeah. um, especially on a team like the Warriors who, who can go small and, and, and prioritize three-point shooting. Yeah. Um, and then Jalen Sporadic so far. Um, you know, obviously he's got a great relationship on the Mavericks team. He, him and Luka Doncic seem to love each other. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, ke- the chemistry in general on the Mavs seems really strong. Yeah. Like that team just seems to be like a team that has a lot of fun together. Yes. Which is, which is cool. But yeah, I mean, it's it definitely a little bit sporadic right now. He's only got playing 15 minutes a game, nine points. Like he's doing okay. You'd like to see a, a little bit more. And he's, I would say he's, he's been a little bit inconsistent. Again, it's early in the season. And he's coming off an injury, if you remember. So he had actually had surgery after the pause last year and then didn't come back and play um, in the bubble. So, so that was a, a little bit weird. So he is, he is regaining his footing there. But yeah, you obviously would like to see him be playing a little bit more consistency. Like you mentioned, the Mavs definitely have bigger things in mind for him when they, they actually paid him a lot of money even for a second round draft pick. So they want to develop him. They're invested in him. But yeah, third year is, is a big year, and you hope he really starts to, to step up the production. Yep, yep. And then finally, Omari, you know, it's kind of tough. He's, he's on the Knicks, which obviously sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, but it with, definitely sucks. But with, with that going on, his option, like they just decided not to pick it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's, he's still on the team. He actually hasn't made his, his regular season debut yet. He's been banged up with a knee. 
but um, well, knee injury. Yeah. But I don't know. So much of Omari comes down to conditioning, like it always has. You know, you looked at him when he was in Golden State, and he got down back down to like two forty, two fifty. He looked slim. He was playing above the rim. Uh, I mean, take it for what it's worth. You saw some pictures of him playing pickup. You know, on the COVID pause, he didn't look slim there. And if he's not slim, he's just not going to get time in the league. Like. You've got to be in shape. This has been the theme throughout his career. Like we're absolutely rooting for him. And I hope, you know, I hope he's, he's in playing shape and I hope the knee injury kind of works through it. Knicks are an absolute abomination. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. It's tough to stand out on, on that shit of a team. It was like one thing last year when Pascal was on, on the Warriors and the Warriors were terrible. It's like, ah, I don't know, whatever. He was, he was kind of making his, his way and, he was enough of a playmaker to kind of bully people. Omari doesn't have that quite as much. And I don't know. There's just fucking nothing on the Knicks. Like, good luck. It's, yeah. it's going to be tough. The other thing, too, is that when he was on the Warriors, and you mentioned that he got into good shape when he was there, we talked about it at the time. We said maybe Pascal being there, a former teammate, friend, etc., helps him, you know, stick to his routine. The Knicks don't have a leader. There's no one there to help keep him in check. The, the, yeah. the organization's a freaking disaster. So I, I worry about it. I, I hope, and as you said, we hope, you know, for the best for him. But you know he's got to he's got to stay in good shape, and he's got to and I hopefully he get his way out of of New York. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. They're not picking up his option, and he can go somewhere else where he has better leadership to uh, keep him in line and, and and help him grow and and become a better professional. So all right, totally. That's that's all we got. It's it's long podcast, but a good one. We appreciate our listeners um, for checking in with us. We'll be back. You know we're we're gonna pay attention to the COVID pause here and. And come back when 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 we have some content um, to to talk about, maybe a preview, short preview, something like that. We'll see. Um, but thanks again to everybody for listening. Happy New Year! And as always, let's go Nova.